Before we get into the next episode of the Conjugate Chats, I want to thank the Department of Young Strain Coaches, the DOYSC, for sponsoring today's episode. The DOYSC is to help young coaches into the field of strength conditioning, whether that is CSCS prep, live discussions, internship or GA opportunities, or anything else strength conditioning related. They are here for a resource for young strength coaches going into the field of strength and conditioning. I'll drop the link in the description to the DOYSC's Discord so any young coach can have access to this awesome resource. So thank you for listening to the Conjugate Chats and the DOYSC for sponsoring today's episode. And welcome back to the next episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry at that. Uh, today I have Ethan Crawford of Aquinas High School? Aquinas. Aquinas. Aquinas High School. So Ethan, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I did notice it was your birthday today of the day of your this recording right here. So I appreciate your birthday, you know, spending a little bit of time with me on this podcast. Yes, sir. It's a privilege. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, this is my second year uh, being the head strength conditioning coach at my current position. Uh, actually, before I got this job, I was actually working at Target. Kind of had a, a gap year in between graduating college and not having anything lined up. So scholarships ran out, had to make some money to, to live before I had anything lined up. So Target was the calling. Gotcha, gotcha. So you, uh, I know that you played at Liberty, right? Yeah. So how was playing at the D1 level? It was interesting to say the least. Uh, when I first got there, I ended up getting to play as a true freshman. Uh, at times, uh, it was fun at the time, uh, not having to sit on the bench, you know, playing high school ball all four years, getting to play plenty and getting to go right back into playing again. Uh, but at times, I kind of wish I did redshirt because just physically – I think when I first played my game, played Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech, and I was a 275-pound guard going up against, like, the Edmonds brothers and their D-tackles, uh, Tim Seto, who plays for the Redskins, was, like, 340 pounds. So it was a bit of a learning curve. Gotcha. Yeah, man. So how was playing at Virginia Tech? Virginia, I mean – did they play uh, Inner Sandman, you know, for their, uh, you know, their, their entrance song? Yeah, a funny thing about that is that the entire summer during workouts leading up to it, our strength coach played that on loop and repeat every single day. Our workouts would be, like, even if on the field, he'd play it on the speakers. So hearing that for two hours every day for two months and then you get there, it still doesn't fair because you can't even hear the song. Everyone's jumping up and down. The whole the ground is literally shaking. Yeah, where's the craziest place that you ever played at? Uh, I'd say Auburn was probably the absolute most bonkers place because just the sheer fact of twenty more thousand people in the stands than VT. Uh, VT is definitely a close second because it was the first game of the season, and they were pretty much all drunk just going crazy yeah man 
That's awesome. So let's kind of get into this thing. Why did you go into the field of strength conditioning? Well, I don't exactly remember how. I just knew from the very get-go of going into college, I knew my major. Was, a lot of people came in. They didn't even know what their major was going to be. I was like, no, I'm going to go into exercise science. And I think it just stemmed from high school, not really. I think I went through three different strength and conditioning coaches in high school. And I always felt like something just wasn't always right, especially when I signed with Liberty. And after we signed, the strength coach sent us a packet of, to prepare all the way up until we actually joined the team in June. So just seeing what he did versus what we did and what the kids were continuing to do, I was just like, something doesn't add up. So I was like, okay, I kind of want to know more about this. They have majors for that, and there's jobs for that. So I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to learn about why what you're doing is either good, bad, or different, and learn how it could be better. Yeah, absolutely. Now, why the high school round? You know, there's college, there's private sector, there's, you know, obviously the high school route. Why did you choose high school? Uh, I chose high school a lot. Uh, I've worked with – when I was in college, I worked with my alma mater, just going back, and I was coaching football during spring for them, just helping out. And getting to see younger kids who never really had formal coaching and just giving them that chance and seeing the progress that they make, even if it's just two weeks a month, two months to a year, and seeing the progress of barely able to get to a squat to being able to have a barbell on their back and be able to do a correct squat, just little things like that. Whereas in the collegiate sector, you see a lot of guys come in and they're just raw athletes that to a degree, they can still be developed to monster athletes, but you're getting guys that are already at such a high level. I like getting to work with the guys that start at that next to nothing level and moving them towards a high level so that when they go off to college, their coach can be, oh, your high school coach did a good job. Like, you come in, you're prepared, and you're ready to go. I just want to see that for a lot of our guys. When you go off to college, if you go off to college football, you have a base, and you're ready to go. You don't have to go through a month or so of just getting acclimated to their work. You're ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, high school setting is, is weird, man. Like, you got freshmen that walk in. They're awkward as all get out. I mean – you know, some are underdeveloped, some are overdeveloped, some have, you know, are ready to be on the barbell, some are not. So the high school setting is very unique in that sense. You know, it's very much uh, like in the collegiate setting, you you recruit guys, come in, you know, stuff like that. You know, when you're in the high school, you get what you get, basically. Yeah, you, you'll have four different programs going on, controlled chaos. Some guys not even touching a barbell to work out, and some guys throwing 400 pounds on. Just the sheer disparity between freshman and senior is major. Absolutely. Um, so what, what are you doing to continuously learn in the field of strength conditioning? Well, I mean, as you know as well as I have, just being able to just look and see what guys are doing on Twitter, that's been a game changer for me. It's like, like okay, this – Thank God this app is free because I can just see like, okay, this person's doing this. What exactly are they doing? All right, let's go research it a little bit. See if I can actually apply it to my kids. Maybe it might work in my situation. It might not, but we'll experiment and see if it works out. We'll probably keep it. If it doesn't look right or it's just it's not right for what we do, our time slot, our space, then we'll have to do something else. And then to a degree, it's 
figuring out just what works with your situation. And it's based off prior experiences too. Like I came in when I was fresh green coming into this place, tried some things that I did in college, very stupid move of me, but it's like, okay, I didn't really know better. So tried it. It failed miserably. I blame myself, learned from it and moved on. Try different things. They succeed. Good. They don't succeed. Change. Right. Absolutely. Now you're saying that you learn from guys on Twitter. So who are you talking about specifically? Uh, definitely uh, Cody Hughes. Uh, before he decided to log on Twitter for a while, he's one of those guys that just continuously puts out information. Brandon Pig, for sure. Uh, interact with him on the daily. Uh, probably the most that I've, I guess, stole from or learned from is uh, FAU's head strength and just goes to uh, Joey, I believe, Garacio. Yeah. Uh, he's, he posts everything. So you get to see every single thing that he does on a daily basis. And you're just like, okay, that he, like his guys are freaks of nature. So he must be doing something right. What can I do to make my program just as good as his with the athletes and the equipment that I have? Yeah, man, those those dudes are legends, dude. Like, I got to meet Cody Hughes and Brandon over at the NatCon of um, NHSSCA's NatCon in Nashville, and they're about as every smart as they put out to be on Twitter. I mean, I put I, I told this story like twice already on this podcast, and I'll tell it a third time. So between sessions that we were going through, uh, you know, I got to meet Brandon. You know, talk to him for a little bit. They gave us a little like notebook, like a little notepad to take notes and whatnot during like presentations and whatnot. And the between session, between sessions was like t- talking about like tendon health and drawing out pictures on this notepad just in between <laughs> sessions. I was like, man, this dude's so smart that he can just draw up stuff like that and then spit it out. It, it was incredible. It's like every day is just about a competition to see who can get just a little bit better at their job every single day. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's way him and Cody are way far advanced in the field of strength condition, man. It, I gotta go down there and you know check out their spend a day with them, you know, just pick their brains a little bit. Um, what are your non-negotiables in your program? I'd say we will move good before we ever move any kind of weight. Uh, coined the phrase for it's probably been said a thousand times by other people my kids mess with me because it rhymed i always tell them we're going to move great before we move any kind of weight because when i came in there they were trained more of a crossfit style before i came there and so they had never been accustomed to a legitimate work capacity for moving heavier weights consistently like any kind of thing over 80 percent, it was so foreign to them and they couldn't do more than one rep so it's one of those things that, okay, well, we're going to take the weight off the bottom. We're going to learn how to move correctly because guys couldn't get into a deep squat. Their overhead pressing patterns were awful. A lot of them would absolutely smash their sternums on bench press, things like that where you're like, okay, this is looks like we're just moving and lifting weights for the sake of lifting the heavier weight. And so my whole first year, really first year and a half has been spent making them unlearn all those bad patterns and getting into good movement and then slowly adding weight back on. As I think one of the stronger guys before I get got there, he was squatting 435. The first max that we did with me, he dropped all the way down to 365 because I cut him off before we could 
as soon as he stopped getting to death or as it looked really bad, cut him off. Same thing for his clean. He was set to be a 300-pound clean guy, but his form was so gaudy that I stopped him at like 225. But now we've picked those movement patterns, and he squats 425 now to depth, to, well, to my standard of depth, and he cleans 285 now. So it's little things that we're going to learn how to move a barbell really good to my standard before we ever put weight on the bar. Yeah, um, that's huge, man. You know, a lot of guys, and, you know, I, I talk about sport coaches a lot on here. Sport coaches are guilty of, especially football, Okay, we've been there. Football coaches are guilty of, oh, we got we got to throw the barbell on their on kids' backs. You know, we we've got we got to get them stronger. You know, doesn't matter. We got to get them stronger. And I think what your approach to it, you know, let's get some movement. You know, going through a full range of motion on stuff before adding the dumb, you know, big weights, whatever, is huge. And that's something that kids need, especially in the high school setting, because one. You know, they're growing at this time. You know, they got time to develop in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, if they want to go to college and all that stuff, that's one thing. But the majority of these kids are probably not going to college or not going to go, you know, play collegiate sports. You know, they're there yeah. to, you know, hang out with friends, whatever. And then they're lifting because a sport coach or someone like us are in the weight room with them telling them, you know, you need to do this. You know, um, yeah, what you're doing, man, that's that's huge. Trying to get movement over Max's, basically. Yeah, our, our sport coach has been – he coached me in high school, so he kind of understands what I'm about, and he's been very supportive as in almost to the point of being hands-off, as in it's my room. He's going to let me run the room my way. If I ask him for a help or input, he'll give it. But other than that, he lets me run it the way I think it needs to be run. That's huge, man. Buy-in is huge, especially from sport coaches. Oh, yeah. Buy-in's huge. How do you get buy-in from your athletes? Results. As in, are we healthier? Are we in better shape when it comes to season? Are we getting faster? Are we jumping a little bit higher, jumping farther? Are we getting stronger? With me, I know there's been a a huge debate on Twitter with strength being king and whatnot. I think a strength needs to be there. But to a degree, I love – relative strength more than absolute strength and i've been teaching some of my kids that i got a 170 pound quarterback and he's only bench pressing 200 pounds uh, and he's all up in his feelings after max days i'm like that's awful for him because you see some of his guys who weigh a little bit less or guys who weigh a little bit more benching more than him like dude just bench press 30 pounds over your body weight as a 10th grader you're doing fine. You're on the right track. There's no reason that we have to be at a certain spot right now. We got plenty of time to work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're the director of strength conditioning at your high school, correct? Yeah. So how many sports do you work with? Right now, football, volleyball, women's basketball, men's basketball to a certain degree. Uh, started working with women's soccer at the end of uh, last school year tried to work with cross country i tried uh, the sports coach kind of went cold on me so that was a swing and a miss uh from what i understand i believe i might oh, i'll try to work with men's soccer uh basically anyone who approaches me if i have the time and the resources i will work with them 
if you don't want to work with me, you want to do your own thing, that's perfectly fine. But for the most part, every I've worked with every sport that's asked me. It also helps that at my position during school hours, I actually teach a weightlifting class. So if the student's sport technically isn't lifting with me, they probably could still get it in if they take the class. Like I know I have four cross country kids that will be taking my class, but their sports team isn't lifting with me. So still I got four kids on that team that will get to lift and will get to do it my way. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what's your approach to programming those, you know, individual sports? Like you, you got multiple athletes in your room, you know, you got multiple sports, whatever. How do you approach programming all those athletes? When I first got into this scene, I thought every sport needed to be individualized. Like football doesn't need to be the same as volleyball, volleyball, different from basketball. I think every sport should have been individualized. And I learned how much time that takes individualizing a program for an entire team. So I've been working a lot on a tier system almost, like tier one, tier two, tier three, like beginner, intermediate, and advanced. And for the most part, if I deem a certain sport might not need a movement, as in like volleyball, we've tried working on cleans and some of the girls just really do not get it. And if it's the majority of the girls just really don't get it, all right, that's a movement. Maybe we just need to work on something else. So at that point for that sport, we'll individualize their program just a little bit. But for the most part, if you look sport to sport, program's the same. The format's the same. Little movements might be tweaked here or there. Like my football players, they're good at cleans. We worked a ton on our cleans and they bought in. They got really good at them to the point we're seeing really good returns from them. But my volleyball girls, we really haven't seen great returns from them and almost to the point that we're wasting time continuously coaching it. So we'll do weighted jumps, resisted jumps, accelerated jumps, different things like that. We still get the same output, just a different input. Gotcha. And you, you talked about cleans, and I'm assuming that you use the Olympic lifts. We do, yeah. So why the Olympic lift? There's been have been a, uh, a debate the last, I'll say probably about six months, you know, use Olympic lifts or don't. You know, you can justify for both. Why do you use Olympic lifts? I like the Olympic lifts a lot. Well, unless for just the sake of being Olympic, as in everyone cleans, everyone jerks. I like it, one, the kids like it. As in, if I took that out of our football boys program, they would destroy me and yell at me every day, like, why aren't we cleaning anymore? And so I worked hard on learning how to make sure I could program it, even if a freshman needed to learn how to clean, all the way up to refining a senior's technique. So I learned how to make sure that I could program that for all grade levels. But, I mean, the kids like it. I believe that I can coach it relatively well. And we do see returns out of it to the point where I think it positively affects our vertical and broad jumps. Gotcha. Yeah, um, at uh, NHSSCA's presentation, Cody was the last presenter to present slowing down to speed up. I remember it. And he took out all the Olympic lifts, cleans, everything. And they did like all these eccentric works. And he brought out a good point of, you know, you don't need Olympic lifts to be faster, to be stronger. Fair. But like you said, you know, kids like it. Our football guys, love clean they love cleans you know they 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 want to have those olympic lifts and that's a pretty good reason to keep them in i, I think that also gives you a little bit of buy-in as well yeah i mean to a degree you're we're, our job is to put these kids through grueling workouts for the most part because we're going to break them down to build them up 
if it's a little thing of, hey, I want this song in our workout, I want this exercise. Hey, coach, can we clean? Can we do some curls? Yeah, man, I got you. Like I'm putting you through the ringer every day. I'm going to let you have a little bone every now and then just to make sure you enjoy being here. Right. Absolutely. Uh, we're kind of approaching the football season, or I should say, you know, the competition season for a lot of fall athletes. What are you doing to develop and maintain gain speed with athletes? Yeah, so, I mean, a big major focus during this summer was when we were work our more of our change of direction agility days. I'd like to incorporate game-like drills. As in, I would set cones up and we'd work on vice tackling drills, sideline tackling drills, stuff like that, where we're replicating game-like movements, but we're still getting a conditioning aspect out of it. As in, if we're going to work a station, it might be a five-minute station, so we still get plenty of reps in, but not to the point that I'm just breaking these kids down and we're getting crappy returns out of it. But as we get closer and closer, it needs to get more specific to the game especially with football, we're about to start practices on Monday here. Uh, and we'll, we've been going four days a week lifting. So now I'm going to drop it down to where we're going to go three days a week. And even then, throughout the week, the volume is going to significantly drop. As in like Monday, typically, or Sundays for us when we lift during the season. That might be our higher volume day. Tuesday would be our strength focus kind of day to where it's still medium reps, medium sets, but uh, kind of keeping in that 60 to 85% range because I still want to get a little bit stronger throughout the season. I don't like the term maintaining for them because I tell them they're going to maintain, they're going to get weaker because they're going to think they just need to do the bare minimum. They're going to get weaker doing that. So to them, we're saying, hey, we're going to try to get 1% stronger each week. And then on Thursdays as a primer, it's going to be very, very, very low sets, very low reps, but we're going to move a lot of weight fast. So do you use like a, uh, do you use percentages? Do you use the RPE scale? Like what do you use? So, yeah, I've been researching a lot over the summer about RPE, RIR, stuff like that, just because at my school, we only have 39 kids on our roster. So a good majority of our playmakers are going to be playing offense, defense, and special teams. Like one of our star players, he's our starting running back, starting Mike linebacker, and he's also our starting kicker and punter. God. So my boy is hardly ever going to come off the field. So week one of this season, if I program a power clean at 80%, that might be a normal 80% for him. Week six, week seven, 80%, that might feel like a 90, 95%. So I – I like the aspect of the percentage-based programming. It's just, it's so rigid during season. Whereas the RPE, I know some kids are going to abuse it. All right, you give kids an inch, they'll take a mile. But to me, I think the kids who will need an RPE-based program to where they can control their own weights just based off how they're feeling, I think those kids will need that. And the kids who are taking advantage of it, more likely than not, they won't be playing. So I want to give the kids who were busting their butts on Fridays the chance to actually still get stronger, but be able to recover because they need to be their best on a Friday night. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of go with this idea of like recovery and playing, you know, the, the long game in athletic performance. What are you doing as a strength coach to help prevent injuries from occurring in your program? Yeah. Um, 
shout out to uh, DSM Strength, his Twitter page, his YouTube page. I've been looking for an athletic monitoring protocol for a while. And he has YouTube videos on how to develop one, an athletic monitoring database. And I've did that and I've kind of messed with it, researched about it to the point that I think I'm going to implement it. And it's going to be a simple thing of two to three times a week. I'm going to ask my kids uh, one to 10 scale. What's your, how did you sleep? What's your move for the day? How stressed are you? How sore are you? And input that data into my database. And it'll give me a kind of a readiness score for the day. And it'll show me just trends throughout the season. Like, hey, maybe this guy needs a couple less reps in practice. Okay, this guy's good to go. Let him be full go. Stuff like that. Where like, hey, we can see trends with some of these guys who are trending downward. We need to cut their reps. We need to let them rest. And some guys who are staying steady state throughout the season. Like, okay, we can keep pushing with some of these guys. Uh, do y'all get have any technology that you use in your program? Nope. I wish we had a lot more, but we we do not have any kind of technology. I mean, I've been lobbying a lot for timing gates way down the road i guess that would be like a prize would be dbt i've i've researched that significantly uh use it in college so i'm very familiar with dbt but that's not very going to be likely for my situation so main thing is i just try to do the best with what i caught so that's why i've been using the databases stuff like that from dsm strength yeah gotcha um so what kind of technology would you like if you were you know, you can go online and just pick out whatever you want, man. I mean, what would you like to have in your white room? I've been seeing a lot of it lately. I would love to honestly have some anchor attachments. I think those kind of, those cables are one that so easy to use. Like I feel like that's one thing kids really just could not mess up. All you got to do is just twitch, twist on the, um, the weight and pull with the cable. Um, I would like some form of VBT. I guess the simpler, the better, because I know some of those, like gym aware and stuff like that, they can be kind of complex to set up. I mean, some of these kids just might not understand what it is, and that'd be something for more advanced athletes. Only they would get to use it just because they have a higher ceiling. Their base has been built. And I guess the last one would probably be any kind of timing gate or any – I think it's uh, called the Run Rocket. It says it's a, like a cable-resistant sprint. I've been seeing those all over. Uh, I think they're so freaking cool. Yeah, man, that's awesome. We're getting a uh, a two gate timer set, a laser timer set from a Dasher. So I'm excited for to finally see what these kids' uh, actual forties are instead of the four fours. Uh, every single time we test a forty, and I give them their number after every single time, I have to tell them, "Look, guys, these aren't the most accurate. We're doing the best that we can." Yes, I'm sorry, Johnny. You ran a five one, and you ran a four nine the other day. It is what it is. I'm sorry. Yeah, we have kids that uh, run a four seven. That's like you're probably running a five flat, man. If that, that's probably your best bet. Five flat, five one, maybe. Oh yeah, I'm always uh, just a hair late because I'd rather be a just a little slower than a little faster and boost their egos when it doesn't need to be boosted. Yeah, high school boys, uh, especially football boys, they don't need their egos boosted more than... No. There's no way any 300-pound lineman should be anywhere near a five flat, especially in high school. For real? Some of you believe it. Uh, So you kind of posted your own kind of training regimen on Twitter. Um, Does your training really differ from 
what you give athletes? Do you do the workouts that you give your athletes to do? What's your personal training regimen? A lot of times there's one key movement that I will implement into my own training, whether it's at the end or beginning or somewhere in between throughout the week, where I was like, okay, this is a movement I'm not 100% sold on. So I'm going to learn how to, one, do it myself, coach it, and see if there's any positive returns out of it, as in before I ever thought about doing Jeffersons with my kids. It's like, okay, let's, I've seen people talk about it on Twitter. They do it on Twitter. Like, okay, I want to see what this is about. I want to do it, make sure I do it correctly and then implement it with them. And I've saw great returns because I have, I've always had tendonitis in my uh, right knee just from heavy squatting, cleans all the time. So that's always been present. And the more I've been doing those Jeffersons at the end of every lower body emphasis day, it helps. And I always have some guys that always complain about tendonitis, whether they want to come in for rehab or not, they always complain about it. So being able to implement that on a higher volume day, it'll, I think it will be huge. Yeah, man, we started doing Jefferson's, I mean, kind of progressing them through, uh, you know, guys that are not on the barbell system. They're using dumbbells and holding it just like they would if they were holding the barbell, man. And, you know, <laughs> And we're starting to see some return from that. You know, guys are not complaining about their knees anymore or kind of, you know, tendon health, you know, make, just make it short. You know, we're having a little bit more emphasis on, like, grip strength and tendon health right now. And, uh, yeah, shout out to Brandon for those ISO Jeffersons because uh, that's a good little competition. It's a good competition. See how long you can hold it. Um. Let's get into this one here. So what advice would you give a young student or an athlete that wants to go into strength and conditioning or sport performance? Find an internship uh, and find a mentor. Like when I was in college, my junior year, I was getting ready to go into my internship. So my junior year of football was my senior year academically. So I was getting ready to go do my internship. And I contacted my head strength conditioning coach at the time. I was like, look, I really want to do this. He goes, yeah, we'll figure out a way to get it done. Fast forward about two, three months, we got a new coaching staff come in. So I had a new head strength and conditioning coach come in. I told him like anything that I had originally previously planned. And he goes, well, with new compliance rules, the same sport athlete can't work with their same coach. As in a football player couldn't work with football strength and conditioning. I was crushed. I was like, okay, cool. That's, that's what I wanted to do, but it is what it is. So I went and found the Olympic sports strength and conditioning coach. I asked to intern with them, shadow them. And it proved dividends for me to see the differences in programming for Olympic sports, for the cheerleaders, for women's swimming, for wrestling, different things like that. I got to see the other side of strength and conditioning. It wasn't just football because everyone always believed it's just about football. They're the only ones that really lift. Now there's a whole other side of the coin and I got to see that side. Yeah, that's awesome. Man. Did you intern at Liberty? I did, yeah. It it made sense. I'd got to do it at the end, the conclusion of my senior season of football. So really wasn't in school much, didn't have any football obligations. And the internship itself was pretty hefty. We had had over 120 hours. So, I, I mean, I needed all the time I could. And I was in the facility with those teams every day for about usually about three, four hours a day. Yeah, man. So you recently just – past your CSCS probably about a month, month and a half, maybe two months ago. Can, yeah. Uh, 
what do you suggest that people, young students, you know, athletes, whatever, that want to go into strength conditioning, what's the best advice for you to them about passing the CSCS? If you're still in college and you're thinking about doing it, do not take the courses lightly. If you're your uh, undergraduate program, mine at the end of mine, you took the test. And that was kind of one of the things of passing the class or passing the course was getting to the test and passing the test. Well, I failed my test. I didn't really take it that seriously. I kind of just went through the class, went to the workshop after the end of the semester, and then took the test after mindedly. And I failed. My teacher told me that, like, hey, you scored enough points to pass the class, so you can pass the class. But, okay, well, now I just did all this for nothing, which is one of the reasons why I ended up having to go towards Target because, I mean, I don't have a CSCS. There's not really anywhere that's going to hire a fresh graduate without any kind of certification. So I went through Target for a year, and I studied hard, just not the right way, as in I think I read through the textbook three different times. Didn't really retain anything because all I did was just read the textbook. Didn't really take too many notes and whatnot, just read the textbook. And I did worse the second time. So get ready for the third one. I'm like, look, I'm going to give myself four months of constant learning as in I go to work in the morning, get home around four o'clock. The rest of my evening for four months is spent studying as in I think I made myself reread the book cover to cover the first time. After that, I went and bought the NSCA study guide and practice questions, and I bought Matt Castillo's uh, practice tests. And what I would do is I would read through, or I'd do the sections of the practice tests, and if, depending on how I did, I'd go through, find the study guide for those questions, and I'd read, read through those topics. So I said, okay, I got six out of 12. Okay, I really need to go focus on nutrition right now. So I read, read through those topics. And I would do that, I'd take those tests every two weeks, enough to where stuff would stick, but I wouldn't just memorize the test. I would continuously do that. I did that for four months straight. At the very end, I kind of, I downloaded Pocket Prep, just the sheer volume of questions that I could just do and just like test my knowledge. Okay, good, good, good. And at the point that I got to the test again, I was so surprised, it just felt easy. The point that everything, okay, First two times, I was, there was a lot of guessing going on. The third time, I was like, holy crap, I know this. Yeah, man, yeah. Um, I like kind of your story into that CSCS, you know, kind of, you know, when I was taking that the first time, fresh grad, you know, had a kinesiology degree, thinking, oh, man, this this thing's going to be easy. So I passed with a kinesi degree, you know, I got a kinesi degree, I, I, I don't need to study. I, you know, skimmed through the books, whatever. And that test absolutely destroyed me. It's like, oh, oh yeah, and it's it's a brutal one. It's unless you really prep like you have, I mean, you're not gonna walk in and pass. Some have, but I wish I was one of them. Yeah, I mean, a majority are not gonna just walk in and pass. No, I think the passing rate what's like sixty percent, something like that. I think last time it was like fifty six, fifty nine, maybe sixty, somewhere somewhere around there. So. Uh, where do you see yourself in about two to three years, five years, and ten years? Uh, two to three years, I would see myself as at my current position, creating a self-sustaining program to the point that athletes know the standard of the Aquinas weight room. They know the standard of the program. 
to the point that, hey, if I got to step out for a minute, those kids can run that program themselves. The seniors can coach the freshmen. People can coach each other to where they know what they're supposed to do. They know what it looks like when it's not being done correctly. Five years, I'd really love to get back into the collegiate realm. Uh, just, I think it would be a fun challenge, something else to where I get to do increase the experience that I have as I look at, I'll have five plus years of experience in the high school realm. Uh, I'd like to broaden my horizons a little bit, get to work with, I guess, the upper level athletes. All right. I got to work with and refine my abilities on working with fresh athletes, never really knowing what to do. Now I want to work with those guys who know everything what to do and see if I can take a great athlete and turn them into an elite athlete. In a 10-year deadline, who knows? Maybe in the NFL or somewhere. Maybe into the professional sports. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. So let's talk about top five coaches that influenced you in the field of strength conditioning. I would say Joey G from FAU is probably number one. I would say Cody is number two. I think Cody might have been one of the first ones I discovered when I kind of decided to get more heavily involved in Twitter. Brandon would be number three because at that time, Brandon was working with Cody, so you discovered one, you found the other. I would say George, he's freaking, for as young as he is, he is a smarter man than I am. And then I would say you, sure. Uh, you were one of the first guys that I've gotten to really connect with when getting involved in Twitter. We were both kind of green going into the business, kind of figuring it out together. Yeah, man. Um, talk about George for just a minute. George is probably one of the smartest people I've ever talked to. He, when I first interviewed him, he was number one episode of the Conjugate Chat. He's the reason why I wanted to do it on the podcast rather than a blog. And, um, you know, we're going to. He didn't get a chance to record his episode today, but, um, you know, I want to re-record the episode for, you know, just for audience sake, because I had DMs and stuff like that. You know, people tell me, it's like, I would love to hear y'all's conversation. I was like, man, he, he taught the entire time. He talked about, like, sprint mechanics and why we should be doing, you know, XYZ thing. I'm, I just sat there and listened to him, and I felt dumb. I, I'd be completely honest. I just felt dumb. Anytime he posts something, it's not just the video attached. There's a full explanation on why they're doing what they're doing in the video. It's just one of those, like, oh, I didn't think about it like that. It's a full thread. Like, he'll post yeah. a video or whatever. It's a full thread of, like, him explaining it. I was like, I got nothing on Absolutely nothing. You keep doing you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and tag along with that question, who is a coach that you think everyone should be following, whether that is on Twitter or Instagram, whatever? Ooh. I honestly would have to say, I mean, I keep talking about him, is Joey G. Yeah. Every time he posts something, I immediately, if it's on Instagram, I look at his story. Anytime he posts something or video, mostly I've watched him for his field workouts with his guys is because that's something I feel like I lack in. I feel like everyone focuses so much on getting good in the weight room where I think that's the easiest thing to get good at is being the guy in the weight room. It's so hard to effectively and correctly program field workouts and get the correct stimulus, the response that you want uh, to the point that you're not just running around with a chicken head cut off. Like you want to actually get faster. You want to jump higher. You want to be able to 
have a successful impact in doing those field workouts. And that's just something I feel like I lack right now. And watching him, watching what he does and trying to unravel the science behind what he does is it's been rewarding. Do you think it's more impressive to get someone faster than it is to get them stronger? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, especially working with high school kids like we do, anything you do in the weight room, they'll get stronger. They're growing. Puberty is one heck of a drug is that you could tell them to gobble squat for five days a week and they're going to have a freaking massive squat. They're going to get stronger regardless. They'll get stronger even if it's a bad program. They will still get stronger in spite of what you're doing just because of puberty, of growing up. That can't be said for getting faster on the field. All right, if a kid doesn't know how to sprint or run correctly, even if he gets stronger, he doesn't know how to apply the force. He doesn't understand how to correctly orient his body to do the things that he wants. You can have a 600-pound squatter. That doesn't mean he's going to be able to run a four-flat 40. He's not going to be able to run or change directions. That's been a big topic I've seen the last couple of weeks, saying that strength is king. You know, if someone gets stronger, they will get faster. Oh, yeah, there's definitely a correlation. There's- it's just that correlation always isn't. One doesn't go up along with the other all the time, as in there still needs to be a mechanical base of, hey, can this kid skip? If he can't even skip, how do I expect him to run fast? If there's no coordination to do the simple things. Why do I think he's going to be able to do something as complex as high-end sprinting? I notice from doing like field work and stuff, most kids don't know rhythm. You know, they oh, crazy. have zero rhythm. And, you know, you and me, we deal with the offensive linemen. So I'm like, okay, we're going to do a simple, you know, just rhythm drill. Just keep, kind of get your feet moving, you know, get in the pattern. And these kids, you know, stumble over bags and they mess up the hurdles and they crush the cones and all this stuff. I mean, rhythm is huge. And especially, like, having coordination, even with the bigger guys, your offensive linemen, coordination is huge. Oh, yeah. My kids ask me every day, why do we skip in our warm-ups? Like, look, because y'all are the most uncoordinated 30 kids that I've ever seen. <laughs> Maybe we need to learn how to skip a little bit before we start running. Yeah. If I ask you to skip without hitting your feet together and we still hit our feet together, we got something to work on. Man, I've never seen high-knee karaoke's look just stiff and uncoordinated as it could be. I'm like, yeah, I'm just sitting there just watching. I'm like, I, I can't believe these kids never done this before you know or whatever but you know you got to take a look back and take a look at like we're still developing the high school realm right now mm-hmm. you know not every high school's got a certified qualified whatever you want to call it strength condition coach to properly tell them go through the progressions of a program telling them how to skip rhythm coordination all that kind of stuff so i mean you know you can't blame the kids too much about that no, it's definitely what they see on Instagram too. It doesn't always help when they see kids doing ladder drills and whatnot. Like, like that's in a part of speed and dealing. You're like, eh, maybe good for warming up, but that doesn't replicate anything you're ever going to do in a game. So you're not a big speed ladder guy. Ah, uh, I, I use it every now and then for the warm up, just for the sake of doing something different, getting rid of the monotony of the warm up. Just because, I mean, one, kids love it. They, they think that it works speed, it works coordination. They think it does all these things. But, guys, I'm just doing this to get your heart rate up. Yeah, it does work some coordination to a degree, but we're not doing, like, these super complex movements you see on Twitter or on Instagram. 
we're doing simple stuff like hops and steps. I just want your heart rate going. Right. And, you know, I think kids kind of get lost in social media and they're seeing like all these ladder drills and especially like the pros and collegiate athletes that do these ladder drills. Like, man, they, you know, Tyreek Hill, he runs a 422, five, whatever he runs. And he does all these ladder drills every single day. It's like, well, just because he does a ladder drill doesn't mean that you're going to run faster because you, you do a ladder drill. So, Oh, yeah. Social media has 100% skewed the view of fitness positively and negatively. So, like, some kids will go on Instagram and they'll see 16-year-olds squatting four or five for reps and they think that's normal. Like, I should be able to do that. Like, no, nah, man, that's a dude's a freak of nature. That's not normal. Yeah, man. All right, last question here. What's the hot take that is unpopular in the strength conditioning realm, but you think is important? Max speed. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time emphasizing getting the top speed when most of the time athletes never really reach top speed in the game. Uh, I think I saw Mark Ingram talk about this or like Travis Kelsey talk about this in terms of football is that they never even reached top speed throughout the entire season. Even when they were on breakaway runs, they didn't reach top speed. I think a lot more time needs to be spent on acceleration, change of direction, agility, being able to move around, move your body the way you need it to in a chaotic environment because hardly ever do you truly get that top speed movement? Like receiver, you might get one breakaway run. You might hit a go route and you blow by your coverage. You get the ball and you can run freely. That might be once every two to three games. You never know because a lot of times with your routes, you're going to be breaking down. You're going to be changing direction at the moment's notice. I think that needs to be something that's more heavily emphasized, especially in high school, than just trying to get a kid running fast for a good 40. Right, and do you emphasize deceleration as much as acceleration? Oh, yeah, no. We Every day we have a field workout, decel is part of our warm-up. Whether it is it's a max effort decel where we're sprinting 15 to 30 yards followed by decel, whether it's a partner-assisted decel using bands or if we're doing short sprints decels, every single day we're doing some form of deceleration because these kids have never – it's a foreign topic to them. Like when I tell them, like, hey, we need to like learn how to slow down or you need to take your time to slow down or I need you to slow down at a moment's notice, they can't do any of it or they couldn't do any of it. It's taken a long time to get them to the point that like, hey, I need you to stop without falling over, going onto your toes, or I need you to stop in a bilateral stance or a unilateral stance and get ready to do a different movement. So it's taken time to get to that point, but the gas pedal is as much of an influence in speed and acceleration as much as the brake pedal is. Yeah, absolutely. What's something that you think is overhyped in training conditioning? As much as I love it, I think VBT is overhyped. One, the cost for it is just so outrageous for a lot of schools that if you want a reasonable setup where you can use it every day for an entire weight room, you're spending a lot of money. And then you're talking about getting all of the hardware for it. Like if you get 10 VBT units, you probably need 10 iPads to be able to read that. And then you're going to ask your kids to help set that up. That just sounds like a lot of stress. As much as I love it, I would love to implement it. 
it's just something that I know would be a huge headache. Yeah, if you got, I think it works great in the collegiate environment because you have trained professionals and you have high functioning student athletes. At the high school level, man, it's it would be hard. I think uh, the weight room is it can be overhyped. You know, just like we kind of talked about. You know, we we focus so much on strength and in the weight room and perfecting you know technique and whatnot in the weight room. That I think it's almost become overhyped. You know, yeah. you know, it's, uh, you know, we got to get bigger, faster, stronger, whatever. And we got to get the weight room, bust out all these reps and sets, whatever. And I think that's a little bit more overhyped in our field. You know, a lot of coaches, and I'm not naming anyone. It's, this is just a general statement. If anyone wants to even listen to this, you know, we focus so much on the strength side, but not the conditioning side. Oh, yeah. No, that whenever people say that bigger, faster, stronger, that's a capital B, that's a capital S. It's always a lowercase s. All right, we love to be bigger and stronger because that's the easy thing. Faster is something that takes deliberate effort day after day or week after week. Like if you only get it one chance to run a week, take advantage of that one chance. But uh, it's something that is always oh, often overlooked, especially in field. Oh yeah. Like you know, we we might not have the ability to have a true field workout just because of the way school is running and everything like that. But there's got to be a way we get it during practice. Either that is, hey, you tell your receivers, you catch the ball, I need a max effort sprint. And it may be like one to two reps during practice. Hey, you get that one to two reps max effort sprint. Cool. Now that's not a foreign thing when you get in the game. Yeah, man. Well, man, um, I appreciate you being on here. I appreciate kind of working with both our schedules, kind of offsetting and changing, you know, at moment's notice. So, um, yeah, man, it's a privilege. Yeah, man. So thank you for coming on here. Thank you for taking your time and, you know, giving us your word and your kind of side of things of strength and conditioning wise. Of course. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry at that. Ethan, I appreciate you, man. In the name of strength, stay strong and have a day today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.